grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Before I begin the lesson, to thank this congregation. We at Bear Valley have had a long relationship with this congregation. You have supported a number of students uh, over the years. Your preacher is a graduate. Um, I consider myself a, a good friend of Cliff, and I appreciate the work that he's done here since he graduated. Um, but you all have a heart for training preachers, and you've demonstrated that over the years. Uh, we certainly appreciate that at Bear Valley. We ask that you would continue to seek out young men who are interested in preaching and send them our way so that we can continue to teach them how to proclaim the word of God. And uh, we're always thankful for you and the relationship that we share. I thank the elders for that longtime commitment, and I thank the elders for allowing me to come this week and share messages with the teens in this area. I know that's a profitable work to encourage these young people, and you should be encouraged by the numbers of young people that were here this weekend uh, and the fact that they have grown through this experience. I hope you have your Bible. And I hope you turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. You know, it's, it's interesting to me. I've been able to, to talk. We've been talking throughout this weekend on wonder. And, and I've, in my lessons, I've talked about this idea of, of that surprise, wonder is that surprise and astonishment that we get when we see something that's beautiful or unexpected. And we've heard lessons this week, this weekend, uh, about the, the wonder of God's word, the wonder of his love. We've looked at, at some examples from creation. Uh, I want to share with you this morning some of the wonder that we have that we find in his promises. And we find those in 2 Peter. I get to, to talk about what I really enjoy. I've talked about animals. I've talked about space. Now I get to talk about what I really enjoy, and that's the text. So in 2 Peter chapter 1, the, the passage that was just read, we, we see this phrase that we find in verse 3, seeing that his divine power has, been gra has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these, what's the these there? The these there is his own glory and excellence. By his glory, his magnificence, his power, and through his excellence, that word is a word for moral character. It's the idea of the, through the moral character of God, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. We should wonder, be astonished and surprised by the promises of God. While we were yet sinners, he provided a mechanism to bring us back to him, did he not? And, and that grace and that mercy should cause us wonder. We don't deserve these promises, but he's given them to us anyway. And notice what how, how Peter describes these through inspiration. He says that these promises are precious 
They have value. They have value to us each individually. Our eternity is involved in these promises. And they're magnificent. This is a word that, that comes from, from the original language. This is the word we get mega from. The idea of the size and, and scope of these promises. They're massive. They're, they're glorious. They're magnificent. And they're valuable. And he's given us those because of the character of who he is. And he's provided these promises that, continuing in verse 4, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Now, a verse that we've heard throughout this weekend with the young people is Romans chapter 1, verse 20, that we can see his divine nature through clearly through what has been made. Well, that word for divine nature that we see in Romans 1, 20, we also see right here, that we can become sharers in that divine nature. Throughout the weekend, we've talked about observing that divine nature and what's been made. But Peter says we can actually become sharers, partakers in that divine nature. This is a word that we get the idea of fellowship from. We can share fellowship with God. We can have an intimate relationship with him, a, a sharing relationship in his nature because of these promises that he's provided to us. Notice... He goes on to say that we not only can become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. It's an interesting thing that Peter's doing here. He's reminding us that our nature has a tendency to be stuck in this world, this corruption. That world means pollution. This pollution that is in the world by lust. But God, through these promises that he's given us, can lift us out of that corruption. We can escape from that corruption and we can share in his nature even while we walk on the earth and that's such a, a wonderful thing to know that there's a solution to the problem of the world anybody watch the news the world's a mess we're a mess economically we're mess politically we're mess religiously throughout the whole world there's chaos as far as that kind of stuff and all of that has caused this corruption all of that's driven by the lusts of mankind. And if we get embroiled in that worldliness, if we get lost in that worldliness, we become lost spiritually. But God, through these promises, has provided to us a mechanism that allows us to be lifted out of that. We can become partakers with him. We don't have to be stuck in the, in the swamp of polluted worldly thinking. We can focus on something greater, something divine. And that should cause us to wonder. We should have great wonder about that relationship that we have. Great surprise, astonishment that we, even though we're physical and mortal on this earth, can share in a nature that is beyond this earth. That we can share in this, this nature of God, this, this deity, through these promises. And throughout the text of, of 2 Peter He's going to give us four promises that he's going to show us specifically. There's actually more, but we're going to focus on four of them. He's going to give us four promises that show us how we can become partakers of that divine nature. How we can escape the corruption that's in the world by lust. And the first one, the first promise that we see, we find down in verse 11. Notice uh, the context really starts in verse 10. He says, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord 
and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Notice it will be. There's a promise there that, that this entrance, first of all, it's not just an entrance into a worldly kingdom. That would be temporal. That would be temporary. But the entrance into this kingdom, this kingdom is an eternal kingdom. There's a, a divine nature that's part of this eternal kingdom that's outside of this world, isn't it? That which is eternal is outside of this world. And we can become partakers in that divine nature through accessing this eternal kingdom. And notice he says that this entrance will be provided to us. This entrance into the kingdom that belongs to our master, our Lord, and our Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied overwhelmingly given to you now it's interesting though that he says that we need to make certain about his calling and choosing for as long as you practice these things we have access to this promise what are the these things here well this goes all the way back to verse 5 we sometimes call these Christian graces or Christian characteristics but we have this list of things in verse 5 starting in verse 5 going really through verse 8 notice he says now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. Guess what? That moral excellence is the same word that we saw earlier about God. It's God's moral excellence that, that allowed him to give us these promises. And he wants us to have that same moral excellence. He wants us to share in his nature. He wants us to become like him. And we do that through faith and then becoming morally excellent. And in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, sharing the nature of God to those around us, and in godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours, that these is the same phrase that we saw earlier in verse 10, these things, and he uses that phrase throughout this text. These qualities, or if these things are yours and are increasing, see, it's not just enough to have them. We need to be growing in them. We need to be working on them. We, if these things are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But notice, he who lacks these things, same phrase, is blind and short-sighted, having forgotten the, his purification of his former sins. And so he reminds us that God has done his part. He's given us the promise of entrance into the eternal kingdom, but we have to do our part. Notice this connection with this word supply in verse 5. We supply these characteristics in our life, right? We work to, to build our faith and to become morally excellent and to increase our knowledge and to become more self-controlled and to, to have endurance, perseverance, and to continue to be godly and to share brotherly kindness and, and love with others, we supply, verse 5, those things. And what does he supply? He supplies entrance into the eternal kingdom. Notice the, the phrase at the end of verse 11. For this entrance will be abundantly supplied to you. So we supply the characteristics of God in our life he supplies entrance into the eternal kingdom. That allows us to share in that divine nature, doesn't it? That allows us to think about something beyond the physical, beyond our life here on earth. Sometimes we can get so embroiled in the material world that our focus is on what's happening around us here on earth. But we don't have to be stuck there. We can think about the divine. We can think about the eternal. 
And when we connect ourselves to that promise, when we are reminded of that promise of God that he gave us through his character, through his morality, we can be lifted up out of that material thinking. We can become sharers in the divine. We can become partakers of his divine nature. And we can actually see beyond this physical world into eternity and know that there's a promise of this eternal kingdom, entrance into this eternal kingdom being provided to us. So we have the first promise is the promise of entrance into the eternal kingdom being supplied by God to those that seek to live their lives the way he would have us live. But he goes on in this book, in chapter 3, we're going to see a, a, the next promise. In chapter 3, verse 4, we have Peter dealing with these false teachers. And I, I'm afraid sometimes we, we have mischaracterized false teachers in, in our modern context. False teachers scripturally are those that know the truth, but are intentionally distorted in order to exploit those that they, they want to exploit, to get something, to manipulate people, intentionally manipulate them out of greed and out of uh, those kinds of, of material concepts, those kinds of lust. That's chapter 2 of this book. But one of the arguments that they're making, these false teachers are making in chapter 3, is where is the promise of his coming? Notice chapter 3, verse 4. When they maintain, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. You see, these false teachers are still stuck in that corruption that's in the world by lust. They're not thinking about eternity. They're looking around and saying, he hasn't come back yet. Now, we're right on the date of 2 Peter. 2 Peter's written about the middle of the 60s A.D. And so... Jesus has only been gone a little over 30 years, roughly. And already they're saying, where's the promise of his coming? He said he was coming back. Nothing's any different than it ever was. And Peter's going to remind them that in verse 5, that when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water. And by He's going to start to describe to them this idea that you're saying where's the promise of his coming and that nothing's been any different from the beginning. But there's been a lot that's changed from the beginning, isn't it? Because in the beginning there was just God, Genesis 1. And from that he spoke this universe into existence. These things, some of the things that we've been looking at this weekend, the animals and the, the heavens, the universe around us, he spoke that into existence. That's new. That's, that wasn't here in the beginning. And he also destroyed that world with a flood because of the sinfulness of mankind. Things are not the same as they are from the beginning. But Jesus, oh Jesus, Peter is, is assuring us of the promise of his coming. He's talking about this idea of the promise of his coming. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from throughout scripture, especially in the gospels. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place. And he talked about the fact that he's coming back. The, the whole of the gospel is the fact that our, our Christ, our Jesus, our King is alive. And that he's going to return for his people, that he's coming back. And you have these false teachers of Peter's time saying, where is the promise of his coming? He promised he would come back. That promise was given by the divine nature of God through his excellence and glory. He gave us that promise. And they're scoffing at that promise and saying, 
He's not coming back. Where is the promise of his coming? Brothers and sisters, we've got to trust in those promises, do we not? Now, they, after 30 years, only 30 years, were saying, he's not coming back. What do you think the problem is for us now, some 2,000 years removed from that time? Do you think that's a problem for our culture as well? We've got a whole world out there that says, he ain't coming. He's not coming back. It's been 2,000 years. He's not coming back. Brothers and sisters, he promised he was coming back. Do we trust in those promises? You see, that's what it means to walk by faith, isn't it? That's part of the faith that Peter was talking about in chapter 1 that we have to have. We walk by faith, not by sight. God is faithful, is he not? 1 Corinthians 10, 13 reminds us that God is faithful. Scripture is filled with proof that he has always kept his promises. He always will keep his promises we can trust in that, we can bank on that, and we can share in his divine nature by trusting in the promise of his coming. Now, when's it going to come? I don't know. Matter of fact, the only ones that know are God and Jesus at this point. Could he come today? He could. But if he doesn't, does that mean he broke his promise? You see, there's times when we bind on God our timetable instead of his. We want to measure time and we want to say, we want you to come now or we expect you to come now. And how often has mankind predicted the date of his coming? I know I read some articles not too long ago about the, this group that had figured it out. Even though scripture says we won't know that he's going to come like a thief in the night, they, this group had said, we figured it out, we deciphered scripture, we know exactly what day and time he's going to come back. And the, the, the suggestion to that group was then sell everything that you have and wait for him to come. You know what? Most of them didn't sell everything they had. And did he come when they thought he was going to come? No. Scripture says he's going to come like a thief in the night. We're not going to know that he's coming, but we can trust in the promise and since we can trust in that promise, we can share in the divine. We can share in, it, it, in an eternal mindset that lifts us out of the corruption that's in this world by lust. So we have the promise of entrance into the eternal kingdom. We have the promise of his coming. He mentions that promise in verse, chapter 3, verse 10. Notice Peter even restates what we hear from the Gospels. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar. The elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. That's another promise, is it not? The world that we depend on is going to go away. Now, I used to live in California. I used to live in Southern California uh, for about three years. And one of the things that I discovered that you all have that many of us don't in other parts of the country is the earth moves. Used to drive my wife crazy. The, the tremors would come through and she would just freak out. And I'd hear, Michael! And before I can even react, the tremor's over. But we had one of these apartments with those sliding mirrored doors in our apartment and even the slightest rattle, we'd get the little tremors that would come through. But it's weird to feel the earth move underneath you, don't, isn't it? I, I mean, I know you guys have experienced earthquakes and it's bizarre. You can almost feel it coming from a particular direction. The one thing that we trust in, this physical ball that we stand on, what has God said about this ball? It's going to be destroyed. It isn't going to be here forever. 
And we intellectually seem to understand that, at least we proclaim that we understand that because we're citizens of heaven, and yet we live on this ball like this is going to be here forever. We put our roots deep into this earth. We put our roots into this material existence, and we, we become embroiled in this corruption that's in the world, and we live our lives outside of worship and outside of the times we assemble together as Christians, focused on those things, not focused on the divine, not sharing in, in that mindset. And yet God said, this earth's going to go away. This earth and its works will be burned up. There's, there's a, an alternative reading here. There's a textual variant, they call it. This work, the works of the earth will be exposed. Everything on this earth will be exposed to God. Nothing's going to be hidden. Those secret things of the earth, those, those things that we think God doesn't know about, he's going to know about in the end. That's a promise. He's going to look at how we've lived our lives. And he's going to reveal those things. And the physical earth itself is going to be burned up. Later on, he's going to use the word melted. He's going to melt it down. And so we have the promise that this earth will not be here forever. Verse 12 says he's going to melt it with intense heat. Brothers and sisters, if we know that, why do we live like this is going to be forever? I had a, a, a gentleman that, that I know that's getting on in years, and he's been really struggling with his physical health. And at times that, that wears on us when we have those physical situations. And I asked him one time how he was doing. And his answer is, well, I'm steer, still here. It's better than the alternative. Hear that carefully and hear me carefully. It's not. This is not better than the alternative. The alternative is entrance into the eternal kingdom, isn't it? The, the promise of this eternal kingdom is things that we see in Revelation. No, no tears, no sorrow, no physical ailments. The, these bodies that we have will be renewed into a, this spiritual body that won't suffer from the diseases and the aging that we deal with now. What we're dealing with now is not better than the alternative. And we get that mindset, don't we? That we hold on to every second of this life as long as we possibly can because this is better. Guess what? That's the corruption that's in the world by lust. That's changing our mindset from the divine to the material. And thinking all we have is here and we, we must hold on to it with every ounce of energy we have because once we get rid of it, it's over and things are worse. No, we get eternity with our Father. We get a solution to our physical problems. That's better. And we need to start thinking like it's better. We need to share in that kind of thinking rather than the material thinking. Well, the last promise that we're going to look at we see in chapter 3, verse 14. Starts in verse 13, but he says, But according to his promise, we're looking for a new heavens and new earth. They're going to destroy this earth. God's going to destroy this earth. And he's going to give us this new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. You see, we have a new home that's been promised to us, haven't it? Those that are righteous, those that do the right things of God, those that God has cleansed and, and remain faithful to him, those that he's attributed his righteousness to, 
will dwell forever with him in this new heavens and new earth. We're going to have a new home. You know, we sing the song, this, earth, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. And we actually sing it that way, like we're all from Texas or something. But do we get it? Do we really understand that this world is not our home? That we've been promised something eternal? That we've been promised a new heavens and new earth? That heaven, that, that ultimate eternal existence with God? Revelation says this new Jerusalem is going to come down out of heaven and, and God is going to dwell with us forever. We get to be where God is forever. That's a promise that we should hold on to. And if we look to that promise every day of our lives, it should help lift us up out of the, the muck and the mire, the, the, the corruption that is in this world by lust. Because we can see past this mortal existence. We can see past the physical ailing. We can see past the political issues. We can see past the economic problems. We can see past this world into eternity and know that we have a home with our Father who has caused us to be born again, Peter's first letter, caused us to be born again into an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will never, ever fade away. Brothers and sisters, that's partaking of the divine nature. That's thinking the way God would have us think. And we have his promise that we look for this new heavens. We see that promise made in Isaiah 61 and in Isaiah 65 of this new heavens and new earth and, and that we are going to be joined with him and we're going to be able to live forever with him. But folks, we've got to start focusing on that. We've got to start becoming partakers of that truth, trusting in his promises. And trust is another word for faith, isn't it? I mean, really, when we look at the word faith, many, many, many times in scripture, we could retranslate it, trust. Do we trust in God enough to live the way he wants us to live? Do we trust in him enough to, to provide, supply those characteristics he talked about in chapter 1? To live the way he wants us to live? Do we trust in his promises enough to change? And if we refuse to change, what does it say about our trust in his promises? What it really says is that I trust myself more than I trust him. Doesn't it? If I refuse to change my life and line it up with the way God thinks and the way God wants to, if I refuse to share in his divine nature and, and partake of my own, I'm essentially saying I trust myself more than I trust God. That's a dangerous place to be, is it not? And that's when those corru that corruption that's in the world will take hold of our lives and drag us into eternity and an eternity that we don't want. But he swings the gates open. He abundantly supplies that eternal home, that eternal kingdom. But it's a kingdom. What's implied just by using that term kingdom? That there's a king. Guess what? You aren't him. It's not your kingdom. It's the kingdom of our Lord, Master, Jesus Christ. And in order for him to be Lord and master, what does that mean for us? That we become subjects. Every kingdom has to have two things, a king and subjects. You want to be part of that eternal kingdom. You want to partake of these promises. 
you want to become partakers in the divine nature, then you have to understand that the kingdom belongs to him, not you. And that it's through submission to these promises, trust in these promises, that we change our lives, we conform ourselves to the likeness of our king, we live the way he commands us to, we give up ourselves, we subject ourselves, and we have access to these promises. We become partakers of the divine. Now, it's interesting that he said that in verse 11. Notice verse 11 of chapter 3. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you be in holy conduct and godliness? You see, since we understand the promise of the destruction of the current earth, since we understand the promise of the coming of this new heavens and new earth, a, a heavenly dwelling with God, since we understand those things to be true, shouldn't it change our behavior? Shouldn't it cause us to act in a holy way? Now, sometimes we, we, we get a little uptight about the word holy because we've allowed the culture to define that word for us. The word simply means set apart for a purpose. We are set apart for God. We're set apart as those that are, are part of his family, part of his inheritance, we're those destined for the entrance into the eternal kingdom of, his Lord, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Holy just means we live the way God wants us to, that we subject ourselves to him. doesn't mean that we do it perfectly. doesn't mean that we get it right every time. We're not holy holies. We don't go out in the world and just tell everybody, we live perfectly, live by us. As a matter of fact, we understand we need a Savior. Because we can't live perfectly. We try, but we fail. But we submit to him as Lord. We trust in these promises. We change our behavior. We conform ourselves to him and we live in, in holy conduct and godliness. And so we can, verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Do you look forward to the day of God? Or does that scare you? I'll be honest with you. There should be a, a level of fear. Peter in his first book, his first letter, talks about this fear of the Lord. But do we hasten? Are we looking to speed up the coming of the day of God, the day of the Lord? Are we looking forward to that day, knowing that we are part of his, knowing that we trust in the promises, noticing that we become partakers of the divine nature, knowing that we have eternal salvation in our hands. And that when he comes, he's going to take us with him and we're going to get away from all of the problems that we have in this material world. You see, we've got to change our focus. We've got to access those promises. We've got to look to him and trust in those things and live our life the way he would have us live. Where are you this morning in your trust in those promises? Where are you in your life as far as being a partaker of the divine. Brothers and sisters, we can deceive ourselves. We can tell ourselves that we're living the way God wants when we know we aren't. We go out into the world from this building, we leave out into the world and we become just as embroiled in the corruption that's in the world by lust as we were before we became Christians. If that describes you today, I ask that you would come forward. Let us help you escape from the corruption that's in the world by lust. 
Let us teach you. Let us show you these promises. And there are many, many more in this book that we can look at that will help lift you out of that corruption that's in the world by lust. Maybe you've never subjected yourself to his kingdom. Maybe you've never made him king of your life. If, that, if you find yourself in that condition today, we ask that you would submit to him. Allow him to be king. Allow him to reign and rule in your life. And become partakers of the divine. Become partakers in that way of thinking that will lift you out of the world and help you see an eternity that's glorious, that's wonderful, that's eternal, and that we look forward to the day that he comes to gather us home. Whichever your condition may be this morning, we can help you. We want to help you. We'll pray for you. We'll hug your neck. If we can help you in any way, we ask that you would come forward as we stand and sing.